SBC. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Good to have all of you from the Shea campus and the venue in the chapel and all of you guys at Cactus campus. Good to have you guys with us from the great white north. It's about uh, five degrees cooler up here. So it's only, uh, it's only a balmy 112 outside. It's real nice. It's good to have you guys all, all with us as we continue our Summer on the Mount series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've been doing this in an order, thoughtful order, as everything kind of builds on each other. So we had, blessed are the poor in spirit, Rustin kicked us off, and this idea that we are dependent on Christ. And then last week, we kind of looked at how do, we, how do we depend on Christ and go all in on Jesus and wrap our arms around him with everything. Uh, and today, we're going to move on to what I would say is, is probably the most quoted passage in all of the Sermon on the Mount. At least certainly by those outside of the church, it's probably one of the most famous passages and one that they know and love to throw right at us. It's also one of the things that if you were to ask them outside the church and go, hey, what do you, you kind of not like about Christians? This makes their top two list of things. Uh, and it's also something that each and every one of us is really good at uh, without having to try very hard. In fact, we could probably go to the two-year-old classroom at your campus right now and I could show you a bunch of two-year-olds that are doing this right now real well. It's this whole idea of judgment. How do, we, how do we live in a world and yet not be judgmental, not be critical? And so I gotta be honest with you in full disclosure, uh, Jesus is gonna use a word today. He's gonna use this word hypocrite. Uh, and I gotta let you know, I would be hypocritical if I were to stand up here and say, I've got this figured out. I've mastered this. I've got, I've got everything figured out. I don't judge anyone. That's just not true. This is still very much a journey that I am on. And God is very much working on my heart in the midst of this. So I'm gonna tell you a quick story of when God kind of really sucker punched me and made this very apparent and real in my life that I've got a spirit of critical judgment. And I look at the world around me with very critical eyes and maybe not the heart of compassion that Christ would call me to. So I found myself on a trip with a buddy of mine and we were getting ready to go out to dinner. And as any typical trip with a bunch of dudes, you sit around and go, where do you wanna eat? Well, this guy was from Chicago. Loves the Cubs, loves the bear. I mean, just Chicago through and through. And so he gets on his phone and he goes, hey, there's a White Castle not too far away. <laughs> Apparently, if there's a White Castle within 50 miles and you're from Chicago, that's where you have to eat dinner. And so he's wanted White Castle. I'm not Finn, I'll eat anything. So off we go to find White Castle. This grand adventure to get us some little cheese sliders and a bucket of fries. And so off we go and we end up having to park and we gotta make our way down this road to get to the White Castle. And so as we're wandering our way down this road, there's a giant party going on in between us and our destination. Massive party. And I'm not talking like wholesome five-year-old pinatas and birthday cake party. I'm talking like party. The smell of herb was in the air. There were red solo cups all over the place. I mean, the music was pumping. The language was flying. I mean, this is just going on. And there's just a massive humanity between us and some greasy cheese sliders. And so we figure we gotta make our way through this. And so we begin to make our way through this party and there's being drinks spilled on me and language flying. And maybe that's a typical Friday night for you, uh, but I'm a pastor. I hang out with other pastors. I go home to my family. Like this is all new to me. I haven't lived this scene since maybe high school. And all of a sudden I'm thrust into it. And I just feel this thing burning in my soul as I look at the world around me as I'm wading my way through this party. And I just remember sitting there and I got so angry inside. And I remember just thinking to God, like, God, why don't you come back and just wipe all this out? 
Your promise is to make all things new. There's no way what's going on right here in this scene makes you happy. Why don't you come back? Where's your justice? Where's your wrath? God, I can't wait for these people to get what they deserve because they deserve to be punished for their sins. And this self-righteous anger begins to build up inside of me. And I know I got a scowl naturally, but man, it was getting real intense real quick. And anybody at that party is looking at me like, this guy wants to throw down, let's do this. Because I was just getting angry at the sin around me. And I remember walking, we're making our way, we're about a third of the way through this party and we're just pushing our way through, trying to get to where we wanna get to. And all of a sudden it opens up and there's a circle. And there's a couple of girls dancing in the middle of this circle, clearly enjoying the party and all that it had to offer. I remember this righteous anger is in me and I'm just furious, furious. And then God just gave me a right hook. You ever been sucker punched by God before? God just sucker punches me out of nowhere. And I'm looking at this woman dancing in the middle of this circle and he just says to me, Kevin, she's made in my image. She bears the image of God, as does every person you've walked past and every person you need to continue to walk through. You see, they're all image bearers of mine. And when my word says, I came that they might know the truth and that all men might be saved, that means every single person in this party that you're at. And I remember having this theological debate in my head going, yeah, but God, you reap what you sow and, and you're a just God and this doesn't mean, and I'm having this conversation with God and God just says, yeah, but Kevin, they bear my image. Can you see that they're beloved potential children of mine and they need the gospel? So I'm having this battle and I'm trying to swallow down my self-righteous pride and I'm broken by this idea that they all bear the image of God and we continue to walk through. And I just remember looking over my shoulder at this woman one last time that God just used to convict me and then God left uppercutted me right into the solar plex. I, he just said this. He said, Kevin, do you realize that the sin that she's walking in right now is no less worthy of a sacrifice than your sin of self-righteous judgment in this moment? And I just remember being convicted. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. I'm trying to get a greasy cheese slider wandering through a party and I'm almost moved to tears as God's just working on my soul. He said, Kevin, why can you not see the world around you and have a heart of compassion? Why do you have this, again, we talked last week, I tip way on the legalist side of things. Everything's very black and white. Why is there no grace? Why can you not extend grace to the world around you? And why don't you see these individuals as harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd in need of a savior? And I just remember being moved to the spirit and I just remember thinking, God, why, why is it? Why is it that my immediate go-to is to be critical and judgmental and to point the finger and to, to, to want your wrath instead of having a heart of compassion? And so I'm very much in the process of figuring this out. So Jesus is gonna call us to a, a place. He's gonna give us a commandment right out of the gates that we are to live by if we're to be disciples of his. So what are we gonna do with this? And how does it wrestle in your soul? And what does it do with your critical spirit. So let me pray for us. We'll dive into our time in the word and we'll see what God has to say to each and every one of us. Let me pray. God, we thank you. I thank you for this book. Thank you for your truth that's in it. God, I pray that we would handle it correctly this morning. I pray that your spirit would speak. God, as you've been convicting me, God, I pray that you would press into the hearts of each and every soul in all these campuses. God, that you would speak to our hearts. That you would humble us where we need to be humbled. God, that we would rest in your grace where we need to rest in grace. God, that perhaps we would leave here as a united body of Christ, the newfound mission and conviction to look at the world perhaps a little bit differently and to see them as you see them, as men and women bearing your image in need of a savior. So God, I confess my critical spirit. I pray you continue to work on my heart. And I pray you'd speak through your word this morning. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. So we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 7. If you guys have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to flip open to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at six verses, verses 1 through 6 in this Sermon on the Mount series that we're in. And here's what it says. I'm going to read from my Bible. It'll be on the screen right over here. He says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. We get a great example here. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, then there's, when there is a log in your own eye? You, here it is, hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then we get an interesting statement. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. A lot going on here, guys. A lot going on. A lot for us to understand here. So here's the first thing. Judge not that you be not judged. Anybody heard that one before? You convict anybody. You, you mention anything to anybody. Hey, you, you probably shouldn't, you know, for me, hey, you probably shouldn't eat that double bacon cheeseburger. How dare you judge me? Judge not. Lest ye be judged. You eat your salad and enjoy that. I'm going to eat this delicious, you know, rise, kill, and eat, says God said to Paul. So here we go to Peter. Here we go, right? Here we go. Judge not lest ye be judged. What is this talking about? Here's what it's not saying, okay? This is not, it's not saying don't be discerning. This isn't saying, hey, you're a believer in Christ, check your mind at the door and just accept anything and everything. No, it doesn't mean don't be discerning. Christ is gonna tell his disciples to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. He's gonna tell them, beware of false prophets that come in my name. So there's, there's clearly a call to be discerning. But here's the problem, and here's where I feel like, at least for me, I, I, I cross the line. Uh, discernment is one thing. Discernment is recognizing something, identifying it, and saying, okay, I discern, let's go back to my party scene, uh, I discern that these people may not be walking in the will of the Father in the moment. Discernment. We cross the line when we become judgmental is when we look at the world around us and we begin to label people based on their sin or we become uh, very critical of their character, of their nature, and we begin to believe the worst in them because of what we see. So here's, here's where it gets in trouble is there's, there's too many Christians that go, well, I'm just very discerning. No, you're not. You're judgmental, okay? It, it's like me. Well, I'm big boned. No, I'm not big boned. I'm overweight, all right? So you just call it what it is. You're not discerning. You're judgmental. You're critical. You've got a critical spirit about you. And Christ says, look, don't be judgmental. So all of you behavioralists, if all you want to do is change your behavior, hear me on this. Here's what Christ is telling you. Stop being judgmental. Stop being critical. So take that, write that down in your little sheet of paper and, and that's your lesson for today. Go out and try and change your behavior. And when you get to Tuesday and you realize you're still a judgmental little person, go back and watch the rest of this sermon because the rest of this is gonna be all about how do we change our hearts? Because we can't change our behavior if we never change our heart. Your behavior can change for a couple of days but then your flesh kicks in and all of a sudden, you're right back to where you started. So how do we change our heart? How do we get this changed? How do we allow God to do a little surgery here and not even worry about our behavior? Let's, let's focus on this, because your behavior will come. Your judgmental, critical spirit will go away if you can begin to let God work on your heart. And I think that's what he's calling us to. So he says, judge not that you be not judged. And he says this, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, one of two things going on here, maybe a little bit of both. One is to say, the measure in which you judge the world around you with your critical spirit is the same measure in which God might use to, to judge you one day. 
And we can make an argument for that. I mean, blessed are the merciful in the, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So there's, a, there's, an, there's a, a soft argument that that's what this could be talking about. I also think what this is talking about, and this is maybe more practical and real for us in today's world, is if you're super critical of the world around you, if you're a judgmental, critical individual of the world around you, don't expect a whole lot of grace to be thrown your way when you blow it. You guys all know people like this, or at least I do. You sit around, I sit around sometimes and I watch and I just wait for them to fail because all they've done has been critical of me and critical of me. And, crit- and so as soon as they screw up, thank you, Jesus, for this moment. And I just hammer them. What's, I can't believe you did that. What was the mistake? I, it was a huge mistake. What's the matter with you? Critical nature. Look, don't expect to get grace if you're super judgmental and critical. But what do we do? How do we, how do we, get, how do we flush this out? How do we change our heart? And so I just started to wrestle with this for me. And, and I don't, this may be therapeutic time for Kevin and have nothing to do with you guys at all, but I'm gonna share with you, at least for me, three things that caused me to have a critical spirit. Three things that caused me to have a critical spirit. Because if we can identify those three things and start to flush out that problem, maybe this judgmental spirit will go away. And it's all rooted in one word, this idea of insecurity. Insecurity. You show me an insecure person, I'll show you a critical spirit. You know the most, you know the most judgmental place on planet Earth right now? Not right now, but it's coming in August. Eighth grade lunchroom. You go spend some time in eighth grade lunchroom, you're talking about a bunch of insecure individuals that just cannot, they don't, they're trying to figure out where do I stack up in this whole thing and let me judge and be critical and try and figure it out. Why? Because they're insecure. And any one of us, we get a place where we're insecure, we become very critical in our nature. And so what causes my insecurity is really what I'm wrestling with. That's the question I'd have you wrestle with a little bit. What is, what is it that causes you to be insecure? So I got three things for me. The first one is this. When I don't understand God's grace in my life, I get incredibly insecure. When I begin to think, God, I don't deserve your grace because I've, I've blown it and, and your, your grace only goes so far, I kind of I operate with this uh, grace credit limit. Okay, you guys all, most of you have credit cards, except you Dave Ramsey friends, okay? But most of us have credit cards. Uh, you got a credit limit. And once you hit that limit, man, you don't get any more free cash. It's kind of how I think of God's grace. God's got a grace credit limit, and as soon as I've passed it, therefore I don't get God's grace anymore, and so then I get very insecure, and I feel like, oh, God doesn't, God doesn't love me because of what I've done or what I haven't done, and so all of a sudden there's a, a void, a riff in my relationship with my Father because God's grace isn't, and the whole idea of grace is what? It's unmerited favor. It's God extended. God has no limit to his grace. It's limitless, and he gives it freely, not because of what I do or what I don't do, but because of who he is and who I am to him. But as soon as I lose sight of that, and guys, that's one thing, I can know it all up here. I can take you to scripture and quote it to you all day long up here. But when I stop believing it in my heart is when I get very insecure. And then I love to look at the world around me and try and get back in balance. And I surround myself and I go, well, God, uh, maybe I deserve your grace because look at how bad this person is. Judgmental, critical. Look at what a terrible father this guy is to his kid. I'm better than him, so therefore, uh, maybe I deserve your grace and he doesn't. Let me take some of his grace credit limit and take it from me because I get critical in my spirit because I'm insecure. So do we understand God's grace? 
You guys are reading through the Immersed Bible Study. You just got done reading a bunch of theology of Paul, all about grace. There's some beautiful truth inside of that. If you haven't read it, go back and read through the Ephesians section and just let the word of God pour over you, especially Ephesians chapter two, and just wrestle with some of that truth. And do you understand God's grace in your soul to where it begins to bring you a level of security? Look, I'm a beloved child of God, not because of what I do or don't do, but because of who he is and who I am to him. Second thing kind of goes hand in glove with this. When I stop realizing that I am loved by my father, I get incredibly insecure, incredibly insecure. When I lose sight of the love God has for me, this is why I keep quoting to you guys over and over and over again, Romans 8, 31, right? If God is for us, who could be against us? God is for us as children of God. God is for us. God loves us. And as soon as we tip on that legalism side of the spectrum and we start thinking, well, God loves me because, and I do these things, therefore, you, God, look what I did. Then I get a lot of love today. Thank you. Satan wins, and all of a sudden, our relationship with the Father is contingent upon what we do and don't do instead of on who he is in his character. And so you show me somebody that doesn't understand the love of the Father, myself included, I'll show you somebody that gets very insecure very quick because our identity becomes wrapped up in the world around us then. My security becomes wrapped up in what you guys think of me, and therefore, I'm always insecure because I never know what you guys think of me, and I'm trying to figure it all out, and I just become critical of everybody. Can I rest in the fact that I'm a beloved child of God and does that truth penetrate my heart and my soul? Here's the last one. Last thing at least for me is when I don't own my own stuff, when I don't own my own sin, I get very judgmental, very critical because I forget what I need. I forget that I need a savior. So let's go back to that party scene. I'm walking through there and I'm looking around and I'm going, oh my gosh, God, I don't partake in any of this stuff. Look at, how, look at how wicked these people are. Man, do they need your justice. God, let's, let me, they reap what they sow. Let's have, them, let's have them reap now what they're sowing. Where's your justice? Where's your wrath? And all the while not forgetting or totally forgetting that I got my own sin. I got my own stuff. It deserves God's wrath and God's justice too. And without a savior, it's coming from me. And so do I realize, do I stop? Do I take a second? So here's a challenge for some of us. If you find yourself with a very critical spirit, if you find yourself with your nose up looking around at the world around you, maybe just take a second and look at the last 24 hours of your life and all that God's forgiven you of. If you need help, ask a friend. Dare you ask your spouse. They'll point out some things and remind you, hey, look, Christ died for you. You need Jesus just as much. So can we understand that? Because as soon as we don't realize that, then we get very critical of the world around us. Some of us even find ourselves in situations where we surround ourselves. We surround ourselves with people that are a little more immoral than us just so we can feel good about ourselves. Anybody ever done this before? Don't point to the friend if they're in the room right now, but you've got specific people that you go, you know, I kind of like hanging around this group. Because I leave that party, I leave that scene, I get done playing that round of golf and I go home and I kind of go, man, God, aren't you, man, I'm not as bad as them. Critical nature, critical spirit. Why? Because you're not understanding the grace of God that it applies to all. That you haven't earned it. It's been given to you. So embrace it and share it. Live in the love of the Father because he loves you, not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because of who he is and who you are to him. And own your stuff 
That's where Jesus is gonna take us next. He's gonna give us this ridiculous example, but it's ridiculous for a point. He says, why do you see this speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. No, ridiculous, right? Guy's got a log coming out of his eye. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is trying to make a huge point. He's trying to say this. How dare you, hypocrite, even try to remove a speck of sawdust from your brother's eye when you've got a log coming out of your own eye? Deal with your own stuff. This, we're back to where we started. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that can recognize, look, the only thing I bring to this party, God, is my sinfulness. That's what I brought. You take care of everything else. You forgive me. You love me. Your grace covers me. I'm your child because of you. And, and all of a sudden, we begin to realize, man, we, we aren't as good as we think we are. We need to own our stuff. And as we own our stuff, maybe we can begin to remove the log from our own eyes so that we can lovingly come alongside a brother or sister in Christ and just go, hey, I've seen this. Let me help you. But the problem is, at least for me, I'm not gonna speak for all of you, but the problem is, at least for me, is I don't wanna deal with some of my stuff and it feels a whole lot better to point out your stuff than have to deal with mine. And so I become judgmental, I become critical, and I begin to point out all of your faults because I don't wanna deal with my own. God says, no, 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 don't have a judgmental, critical spirit. First, get the log out of your own eye. Deal with your stuff. Here's the beauty of it, guys. However big your log is, However much stuff you have to deal with, God's grace has got that. God's grace can cover that. So don't think for a second, because here's what the enemy would love to do. The enemy would love to convince you, oh man, you're, you got too much stuff. If Kevin only knew the stuff you had, he wouldn't be saying these things to you. He'd be saying, man, we really, let, me, let me get some specs out of your world. No, deal with your stuff. God's grace has got that. And until you've dealt with your stuff, we have no business speaking into the lives of anyone else till we've humbly come to the place where we've knelt before the throne of God and said, God, I need you for everything. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those dependent upon Christ because then we can begin to do some work. And so for some of us, we need to humble ourselves. You see, to me, this isn't a passage on judgment as much as it is a passage on humility. Can we humble ourselves enough to where we're reliant upon Christ so that we can see the world around us, not with critical judgmental eyes, but just like Jesus in Matthew 9, that we would look at the world around us and with compassion, We'd see harassed and helpless sheep. And instead of pointing out their faults, we'd deal with our own stuff. And then we'd lovingly put our arm around them to get the speck out of their eye. Jamie, our senior pastor, does something beautiful with the staff every month. He does this thing called soul care. And I'll be honest with you, as a, as a pastor from, uh, that's been a pastor for a while, it is a beautiful thing to have the leader of our church shepherding the staff. We don't talk about business. We don't talk about Get God, get real, get out there. We don't talk about anything other than Jamie shepherds our soul and pours into us as staff, as individuals. And it's a beautiful thing to watch all of the staff go through this and to be a part of it. So a couple of months ago, he shows a video, uh, a documentary of a Catholic priest that's running a parish in Scotland. There's about 200 people in this town, if that, and it's following this Catholic priest. And it was all about being relational. The relational ministry, it was, it was really impactful and powerful for the staff. But here's what I remember. This priest was trained at a seminary by a bunch of monks. 
And they cut to a scene of one monk and he made this statement. And to me, this is what's so pivotal and impactful in my life. He says this, it takes no discipline to find fault in any human being. It takes no discipline to find fault in any human being. It takes a work of the Lord, eyes of the Holy Spirit, to find virtue in every human being. See the difference there? It takes no fault or it takes no discipline to find fault. I could pull any one of you up here. I could go to Cactus, grab one of you, drag you up on stage and go, let's just sit up here and judge everybody out there. And we could be super critical. Look what he's wearing. She married him, what? Look at that kid. He's out of control, bad parenting, right? We can judge all day long. Takes no effort. Takes incredible virtue. Takes a lot of work of the Holy Spirit. Takes the eyes of the Lord to find virtue in any and all. So let's go back to our party scene. Here's this young woman dancing in the middle of the street, created in the image of God. Takes no effort on my part to point out all of her faults. She's doing this, she's doing this, she's doing this. Takes eyes of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord on my heart to see the virtue in her and to see that she's in desperate need of a savior, but no different than I'm in need of a savior. Because guys, here's the reality. In that moment, I'm gonna say this, that's all right. In that moment, the only difference between my sin of self-righteousness and her sin of, let's just call it debauchery. The only difference in those two things in the eyes of God was she was having a whole lot more fun in her sin than I was in mine. Okay, that's just the reality. Let's just own it. But we both need a savior in the midst of that because my self-righteous pride is no less gross and grotesque to God than hers. And so we needed Jesus, both of us, needed the blood of Christ in that moment. You see, it doesn't take any effort to be critical to find fault. It takes the eyes of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord to find virtue in any and everyone. And so as you begin to own your stuff, as you begin to humbly come before the cross of Christ and say, God, here's where I'm at. Now hear me on this. Do not leave here and let the enemy take this and put a thumb of shame and guilt on you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, we gotta own our stuff, but everything that you own, everything that you confess, everything that you lay at the feet of the cross, God's grace has got that. And once you've done that, once you've, once you've laid everything out there and you've removed that log from your eye and with absolute humility and compassion and love and grace and truth, you can then find your brother or sister in Christ and you can remove the tiny speck from their eye. But guys, let's be honest. Here's where most of us, myself included, fall short. We try and remove specks long before we've dealt with our own stuff and it comes off as judgment, comes off as critical, comes off as, use the word Jesus used, hypocritical. Comes off as hypocritical. So let's own our stuff with absolute poverty of spirit, with absolute humility. Let's go out and look at the world around us and not be judgmental, not be critical, but let's see them for what it is and realize they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here's, here's what we've gotta do. At least for me, what I've had to do is we need to identify this will be a little side trail here. We need to identify what are, those, what are those or who are those people that we have a hard time being gracious towards? What or who are those that we have a hard time extending compassion towards? Because I've got mine. But we've all got them, right? For some of us, it's, it's those in need. And we look and with a critical spirit, we go, man, go get a job. Stop, paying, stop begging for money, go get a job. Maybe those of a different sexual orientation than us, we can look and we go, oh, come on, what's the matter with you? Don't you know what God thinks of that? 
With very critical eyes, we can point the finger and we can judge. Maybe it's with our kids, maybe it's with our, our in-laws. I don't know who it is, but we've, we've got people in our life that we just find ourselves going, okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be humble, I'll be meek, I'll be merciful to this group. Just don't ask me to deal with this one over here. Because this one over here, I like, to, I like to hang on to that as my self-righteous God's wrath, reap what you sow sort of thing. Oh, let's, let's let it all go. Let's let it all go. And with absolute humility, let's find ourselves, instead of pointing the finger, start dealing with the log in our own eye and with compassion, putting our arms around our brothers and sisters and walking with them, journeying with them. And what might God do with a united church around that truth? One that's full of compassion for the world around us, not with a critical judgmental spirit. I don't know. Here we go. Verse six. It says this, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, what's going on here? We just went from a log and a speck and judgment, and now we're talking about pigs and dogs. What's happening here? Well, here's what I think Jesus is doing. Maybe a dog ran by and he's like, hey, squirrel. No, he didn't get sidetracked. Here's what he's talking about. I think there are some, at least from my own experience, where with absolute poverty of spirit, with grace, with humility, with speaking the truth in love, I come up to a brother or sister in Christ and I go to remove the speck from their eye. Not in a judgmental way. I mean, absolutely in the will of God, what God's calling us to do here, in sincerity of heart. Brother, I love you too much. I've gotta speak truth into your life. Can I say this to you? And you speak into their life and you go to remove that speck and they push back and they go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. Who are you to tell me? Here's what I think Christ is calling us to. He might be calling us to let it go. Just to let it go. Okay, hey, I'm sorry. You know where I stand, but I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Go read John 14 and 16. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, not mine. So I'm gonna pray the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit can do, but I've said my last word on this and I'm gonna let it go. Because I think the danger for some of us is we go, oh, maybe you didn't hear me right. Let me say it again and again. And I'll I'll come back next week. Maybe you'll be ready then. You're just having a bad day. And we keep going and we keep going and we keep going. And all of a sudden, what are we doing? We're doing one of two things. Either we're coming off very judgmental to that individual that's not listening to our truth, our pearls of wisdom. And so we're we're driving a wedge between us and them. Or we get frustrated. Why are they not listening? I mean, this is beautiful. I'm speaking words of, these are pearls of wisdom and they're not listening. So then we get frustrated and we get angry. Neither one of those are what God desires. Neither one of those bring reconciliation. Neither one of those bring unity. So maybe what God is saying is saying, look, you've said your peace. Now let it go. Pray that God would intervene. Pray that God would do what God does. Pray that God would bring another individual along to say the same thing to them. Some of you guys have kids. You've watched this happen. I can tell my my daughters or my son the same thing repeatedly for months. Well, that's dumb, dad. Okay. Then they go to one of their friend's house and one of their friend's parents says the exact same thing, word for word. And my kids come home and they go, dad, you'll never believe what Johnny's dad told me. Oh, what's that? That's the same thing I've been telling you for six months. You listen to Johnny's dad, what's he got on me? And all of a sudden, no, but maybe that's how God wants to work. 
Maybe you're not the vehicle to communicate your truth to this individual. And maybe what you need to do is pray for some other brothers and sisters in Christ to come along because all you're doing is casting pearls before swine. And maybe it's another person. And maybe you need to be okay to let it go. And maybe this is where you're surrendering some of that stuff and letting God do what God does. Now, here's the other problem, at least for me. I'll speak for myself. Here's the other problem we have. I tend to speak into people's lives long before I have the right to be heard from their end. And it comes off as judgment. Comes off as judgment. Because I haven't earned that right. And so I see something and I go, hey, can I just, let me, come here, I love you too much to let you in. So I say something to them and they go, man, what a jerk. Let's have this out. Who are you to judge me? So then I stopped and I started thinking. I'm gonna ask you this question. Track with me here, it's gonna take some, some thought. Who has the right right now to walk into your life right now? Just if, they're, if they were, as you're sitting here listening to me, they walk in the back of the auditorium and they come up and they have the right to speak truth into your life and you will listen to it without thought, without hesitation, because they've earned the right for you to listen to them. Who's earned that right? Think about that. I thought about mine and then I was convicted last night by my wife. Uh, I came up with six. And then she asked me, well, who are your six? And as I listed them off, I realized I only have five. Five people that breathe air on planet Earth have the right to walk up to me at any moment and speak truth into my life that I will listen to without thought, without hesitation. Five, that's it. Maybe I don't have enough friends. Maybe I'm an introvert. Maybe that's all God wants for me. But there's five people. Here's the reality. There's probably 50 people out there that think they have that right in my life. And those other 45, they come up and go, hey, Kevin, can I say this to you? Sure. What do you have to say? Because I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna justify. I'm gonna take what you're saying to me as judgment and criticism, and I'm gonna get insecure, and then I'm gonna defend. And for me, man, I'll, I'll scripture you into the hole, right? And make you feel bad about yourself. And away we go. Like, that's just the reality of how it works. And so all of a sudden, it becomes very critical. Well, here, here's what we need to realize, and this is where the thought comes in. Think about your list. Who are the people that have the right to speak into your life? Think of your list. What have they done to earn that right? What have they done to earn that right? For me, these people, these are brothers and sisters that have walked life with me. They've journeyed with me. They've struggled with me. When I have failed, they've helped me up, not pressed me down. They've looked at me. They've encouraged me. They said, hey, we can do this. Get up. We just keep going. They've stood by me when, when times were great and when times were tough. They have earned the right to be heard. What's your list? What have they done? Now let's flip it. And let me ask this. Of the, of the things that they've done, of the things they've done to earn a right into your life, who have you done those same things for? And have you earned a right to be heard in their life? That makes sense? Have that list, all those virtuous things that they've done for you, who are you doing that for now? Because here, here's all I'm hoping to do with this is, is maybe to cause some of us to hit pause for a second and ask ourselves, you know what? Maybe I don't have the right to speak into that person's life. Maybe what I am saying to them does come off as judgmental. Maybe I need to peel back a little bit, slow down some, and instead of casting pearl before swine, I need to earn a right to be heard. Maybe that's what Christ is calling us to. I don't know. But I can tell you this. Those outside of the church... What are their top two complaints about Christianity? We're hypocritical and we're judgmental. I long for the day 
Jamie longs for the day that someone goes, you know what I hate about Christians? They're, some, they're so humble. They're so full of grace. And they just love me. They love me. I hate it about them. Man, what if that was the complaint? Guys, we can't get there by changing our behavior. We can't get there if we allow God to work on our hearts. So what do we do with all this? What's the challenge? Here's, here's what I would challenge you guys with. Spend some time. Spend some time wrestling with God's grace. Spend some time wrestling with God's love. Own your stuff. Some of us may need to go do some eye surgery, take some logs out of our own eyes. Some of us may need to do this. We may need to reach out, send a text, talk to a, a, an individual, a brother or sister in Christ that we've created a wedge between because we've been very judgmental. We need to apologize. We need to own our stuff. We need to let God do what only God can do in the midst of that. But do not leave here and just go, okay, Kevin said don't be judgmental and change your behavior. That's gonna get you nowhere. Leave here today and go, all right, God, what is it you're challenging me in my heart? What do I need to let go of? What causes me to be insecure? How do I need to begin to live in your truth and surround ourselves with individuals that we have compassion for and not judgment and criticism for? Let me pray for us and then we'll spend some more time in the word. Let me pray. God, thank you so much. God, I thank you that you're not judgmental towards me. And God, I know that I've, I'm broken, I'm sinful. You know that. You know that better than any. And yet your grace has got me and you love me. And so God, I confess, even now as we've gone through this a couple times now, God, I still have a critical spirit about me. So God, I pray you continue to humble me. You continue to remind me how much I need you for everything. God, give me a poor spirit dependent upon you so that I can look in the world around me with compassion and with grace. I can love any and all you put in front of me. God, I thank you for your compassion and grace for me, for every single soul in this room and other campuses. God, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.